If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 6 is, is where we're going to start. If you use one of our Bibles, that's going to be on page 679, and then we're going to flip over in a few minutes to James chapter 4. We're going to kind of bounce back and forth um, between these two passages uh, together. Happy New Year, Ethos. Um, as your campus pastors just told you, um, right now as you're watching this, I'm actually on a plane to India um, with Will, our worship pastor from Cannery, and as excited as I am to, to go there and to spend some time encouraging the pastors and leaders there, honestly, I'm, I'm a little bit heartbroken because my, my plan initially was to spend this Sunday at each one of our locations with you at Hillsborough Village and Marathon and the Cannery, um, just sharing a little bit of what God's been doing in my heart over this last season because I believe what God longs to do at our church in the year ahead um, is going to require us to take some steps. I think it's going to require us to uh, to make some difficult choices, but that's kind of the way all good things are, right? You know, good things require us to take some steps, but I believe this is going to be an amazing year. And uh, so I'm really bummed um, that I couldn't be with you today in person, but my prayer is that somehow the Spirit of God will work through this like weird video screen, which is 3D. He like work through it and speak to us as we open the scriptures and uh, do more than we can ask or imagine. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, and uh, I wish we had the time to do this. I would give every person in our church, I'd give you a piece of paper, and I would give you a pen, and I would ask you to wrestle with one question. I wish we had 45 minutes or an hour to do this, but this would be the question that I would give you to think about for 45 minutes or an hour, and then I'd want you to turn to the person and spend an hour or two with them just talking about it, because I believe this question has the ability to not only reveal where we're currently at in our lives with Jesus, but it has the ability to redirect us into the things we were meant for. And this is the question that I'd have you wrestle with, is, is as you begin this year, what is it that you're actually chasing? Like, what is it that you're actually chasing? You know, sometimes in settings like this, when we're sitting in a room like this in these chairs and your Bible's open and I'm standing before you and I ask you that question, I think our tendency sometimes is to go to spiritual things. But if this was a Thursday night and you're out with your friends and they said, hey, what, what's this year hold for you? Like, I'm asking you, like, what is it? What is it that your like, heart longs for? Like, what's the thing that gets you up in the morning? What's the thing that keeps you awake at night? What's the thing that is, is stirring you and moving you? Like, what is it that you're actually chasing? I was thinking about this uh, several, uh, about two months ago, our family moved into this new house. And all three of our boys, Micah, who is six, Jack, who's four, uh, Judah, who's two, they all live in, or they stay in the same uh, bedroom. And it's kind of a small room. It has kind of a weird shape to it. So we're trying to figure out what are we going to do uh, about their bed situation. So we, we got on Pinterest, as everybody does. We started looking for ideas. And we came up with this idea for these triple bunk beds that would kind of be built into the wall, sort of staggered. And, and if you know anything about me, I'm like the worst carpenter in the world. But somehow, by the grace of God, the Spirit was poured out on me. And I constructed these three, not to brag, but just epic um, bunk beds. I mean, they're, they're so awesome. If you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen them. And so we, we built these bunk beds. And they kind of unintentionally have become this, like, inside tree fort for my boys. I mean, they, they love these beds. Like they have these little nooks that they can hide in, these things that they can climb. They jump off the beds. They absolutely love it. And so what has kind of happened over time is over the last month or so, the, the boys' beds have sort of become like this little cave where they store all of the things that they love most. And so if, if you want to know what my boys are passionate about right now, just go to the foot of their bed and see what it is. It's like that place under your porch where your dog, when you were a kid, he would steal all of your shoes and your gloves and your things, and he'd bring them and hide them under the porch. You know, It's kind of that place in, in their bed. So the other night, I'm there in Jack's room. 
and, and Micah and, and Judah, and I'm like tucking them in, and I'm putting them down for the evening. I'm, I'm praying over them, and it was my turn to cuddle with Jack, my four-year-old. So I'm, I'm climbing into bed with Jack, and as I'm climbing in, I'm like avoiding all of the shrapnel that he is, you know, all this like childhood stuff. There's a Ninja Turtle without an arm. There's a half-eaten bag of Doritos. There's this movie ticket from the summer. True stuff. There's a spoon, you know, from the kitchen. I don't know why he has a spoon, why he needs a spoon. You don't need that for Doritos, but he has a, a spoon in the bed. And so I'm like climbing in, and he's saying, hey, be careful. Like, you're breaking my stuff from like what stuff? It's garbage, you know. And so I'm trying to kind of avoid it, and I'm laying down in in bed with Jack, and I, I just look at him and I say, "Buddy, why in the world are you like storing up all of this silly stuff?" I was thinking more adult words in my mind, but you know, I said silly stuff to him, and he begins to just like immediately defend, like. I have these chips in case you forget to feed me, and I have this and this and this. And, and he's like sharing all of this stuff that, that he has. And in my heart, honestly, I was kind of judging him. I thought, man, why? My kid's going to be a hoarder. He's going to be on TV. Like, what's wrong with him? And as I was thinking about that, the Spirit of God just began to convict me. And he says, Dave, you're just like that. You're just like that. Like, you, you, you spend your whole life not just chasing after, but clinging the things that are so, so silly. And I think this is kind of the dominant revelation that the, the Lord kept revealing to me over and over and over in 2016. This was the dominant revelation for my life, and maybe this will speak to you on some level. The Lord kept saying to me over and over and over, Dave, you have this deep tendency in your life to give your first place energy to the pursuit of second place things. You have this deep, deep tendency in your life to give the best of your time and your energy and your passion and your love, not to bad things, but simply to good things that can never sustain you when you try to make them function as God things. That deep in your heart, like your son like, is hoarding these silly possessions. He's like, Dave, you do this with possessions. You do this with your preferences. You even do this with the people that have put you in your life. Like, you have this tendency to take your first place energy and redirect it into second place endeavors. And it's just this moment as I was laying in bed with my son, the Spirit of God was beginning to just uncover some things in me. Well, I wonder what would happen this morning if Jesus could sit in front of us just face-to-face, one-on-one, and he could begin to do an audit of our hearts. I wonder what would happen if the Lord would look at your heart and he'd help you assess the way you spend your time and your money, the things you think about, the things you daydream about when you don't have anything to do, like... I wonder what would happen if the Lord could sit there and audit our hearts. What would he discover about our affections? What would he discover about the metaphorical things that we've placed at the foot of our bunk beds? What would be the thought there? You know, one of the questions I've just been asking myself in this last season is, Lord, how many of my pursuits will matter at all the moment I die? Like, the the, the moment I die, Lord, will will this pursuit, will it have any significance? Will it have any relevance? See, I think my fear for a lot of us is that we've gotten really, really, really good at the pursuit. It's just the pursuit of the wrong thing. If we're not careful... We'll get to the end of our life, we'll get to the top of the ladder, and we'll realize we've spent our whole life climbing the ladder only to discover that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And I go, as we come into 2017, this is the thing that I want us to wrestle with. You know, in the midst of a culture 
that is so obsessed with the pursuit of temporary pleasure? How do we become men and women that are living for the eternal kingdom? In a a world, in a culture that is so bogged down, not with bad things, but with temporary things, in the pursuit of those things, how do we become people that begin to pursue the eternal king who is reigning right now in his eternal kingdom? Because that's what you're made for. And I think here we are at the beginning of 2017. I think what the Lord is offering before us, I think what he's like setting out on the table is not a better version of you. I don't, think, I don't think that Jesus is up in heaven with the Father and the Spirit going, okay, how do we help you accomplish all of your earthly desires? I think, I think the Lord is saying, hey, listen, there is an amazing life in the kingdom right here and right now. Do you want in? Do you, do you want in? Do, do you want to step all the way in? Well, if you want in, it's going to require some faith and it's going to require some adjustment. And this is, this is the heart of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6. I'll just kind of catch you up on the text that we're going to jump into this morning. It, it's just a little excerpt for one of Jesus' most famous sermons. And I love this because so often when we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus as this great teacher, which he is a great teacher, but he's so much more than a great teacher. When Jesus was sitting on the side of that mountain speaking to the crowd, he was not primarily looking at them as a teacher to the student. He was looking at them as the creator to the creation. Every person in that audience, Jesus Christ had spoken into existence. He had picked the color of their hair and their eyes, how short they'd be, how tall they'd be, their their gifts and their mindset. He had picked it all. And Jesus is looking at this group of people whom he loved and whom he knew, and he wasn't just giving them another sermon. He wasn't giving them another set of ethics. He was giving them this radical invitation to experience the fullness of God's life right here and right now. And so he starts talking to them about the fullness of the heavenly life, but he talks about it in the context of some of the earthly traps that we get caught in. And Jesus is going to say, listen, you were made to pursue the kingdom of God, but there's some things that are getting in the way. You're giving your first place energy to some second place pursuits. And so he starts to to say this to his people. Look at Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 19. I I love what he says here. Actually, I, I take that back. I don't love it. I love to read it. I don't love living this out. It's tough. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, this is what he says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, you know, if you want to know what your heart's after, look at the stuff that's in the edge of your metaphorical bunk bed. It will reveal it to you. Jump down to verse 25. He says, so therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and body more important than the clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet, listen to this, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you add a single hour to your life by worrying about these things? I mean, profound teaching. I mean, just amazing what he's saying. Jump down to verse 31. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, those who don't yet know God, chase after, pursue, cling to. They run after these things, verse 32. And your heavenly Father, look at this. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first, chase after, pursue relentlessly. Look at this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I want you to to notice for a second what Jesus is not saying in this passage. 
It's really important. And in order for us to understand what he's saying, we have to understand what Jesus is not saying. And what Jesus is not saying here is that material things are not important and spiritual things are very important. Jesus is not creating this divide between the secular and the sacred. He's not saying, hey, there's this stuff, just forget it, just get away from it. One day I'm going to you know, hit the eject button and you're all leaving planet Earth and you're going to heaven and things are going to be fine. That was never the message of Jesus. That's not the message of Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, Jesus preached the opposite. He says, the kingdom of heaven is not somewhere far off. It's not somewhere distant. It's here. It's so close you can touch it. That's the message of Jesus. Not to do away with the material, but to redeem it. But I, I, So what he was not saying was, hey, forget your physical life and hold on tight until God comes one day. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that as we touch all of these earthly things, they have this unbelievable gravitational pull on our hearts that will rip us from the very thing that we were meant to enjoy. And that is the never ceasing, unending presence of God right here and right now. Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth because those treasures, those things at the end of your bunk bed, they're going to be destroyed. They're worthless. They'll be exposed for what they are. They're of no value uh, if you don't put them in their proper place. He says, instead, store up for yourselves treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. He looks at him. He says, listen, your father knows what you need. I love that. He says, these things are important that you're chasing after. But if these things that you need become the first pursuit of your heart, you will miss out on the thing that you actually need. And what you actually need is the treasure of heaven. I remember several years ago, I preached one of the worst sermons I've ever preached, and I preached a lot of bad ones, but one of the worst sermons I ever preached was on on this passage, I'd been invited to come speak at a conference, and, and I got up, and I got up, and I taught on it, and it didn't go very well, and one of my mentors was there, and he said, how'd you feel about that? And I said, I didn't feel very good, and he said, you shouldn't have, and I'm like, thanks for the encouragement. That's like the, the worst encouragement ever, and, and, and we started talking about it, and he says, he says, that didn't feel like it was really connected in your heart as you were preaching, and I'm like, I know, I didn't feel it either. Quit bringing it up, and so he and I started talking about the sermon, and we were trying to kind of play it out together, And one of the things that I began to discover is the reason my sermon was bad was because my life in regards to this text was bad. Like, I I knew these words, but I'd never really lived these words. In fact, I'd spent my whole life doing the exact opposite of what Jesus commands us to do. Have you ever noticed how easy that is to do? I mean, Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth. Like, that's the command. And I realized I've spent my whole life storing up things at the edge of my bunk bed. I've gone to conferences on how to store them up better. I've read books on how to store them up better. Uh, I've, I've done all the things I know how to store them up better. And a lot of those things even had the name of Jesus on them. But they didn't have the heart of Christ behind them. This, this desire to, hey, get everything else out of the way so you can focus your eyes and your heart on the only thing that matters. That's the heartbeat of what's unfolding in in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, come on. Don't give your first place energy to second place pursuits. And I remember sitting there confessing that to my friend. I'm like, oh, I think the reason my sermon was so bad is my whole life I've chased after these things. He says, why'd you, why? He's like, I know you're not a terrible person. I know you're not greedy. So why have you spent all your time chasing after secondary things with the best of your energy? And that question sent me spinning, and maybe that's sending some of you spinning this morning. Uh, You know, I I didn't wake up going, hey, I want to ignore the words of Jesus, but I spent almost my whole life doing that. 
Well, a lot of times it wasn't out of greed. You know, I didn't wake up going, man, I just want to hoard stuff. Some of you are greedy. Repent, okay? But for a lot of us, I don't think it's greed. I think for a lot of us, it's fear. Hey, if I don't look out for me, who looks out for me? Hey, if I don't chase this down, who chases it down? If I don't make a name for me, who makes a name for me? If I don't climb the ladder, who's going to climb the ladder, right? And there's this fear that often drives us. For some of us, it may not be fear. For some of us, it's just the conveyor belt that your parents or the culture around you set you on. Hey, this is what you do after high school, and this is what you do after college, and this is what you do when you get that first job, and this is how you spend your money, and this is how you arrange your relationships, and this is what you do with your children. And some of us have never questioned, what is the conveyor belt that we're on? And we spend every Sunday in church, but we spend every Monday pursuing the things of the world, and we have no idea why the joy that Jesus talks about eludes us. And he begins to lay it out. And he begins to call them to more. And so I remember I'm having this conversation with my friend right after the sermon had just tanked, and I'm trying to, trying to work it all out. And I'll never forget the question he asked me. He looks at me and says, Dave, what's the treasure of heaven? Like, what's the treasure of heaven? And I started saying, you know, like all the good churchy answers. Because now at this point, like I'm just reeling. I'm embarrassed that the sermon sucked. I'm embarrassed that this guy's just picking me apart. And, I, and I, I, I said, you know, peace and love and joy. And he's like, no, that's not the treasure of heaven. He says, the treasure of heaven is God. God is the treasure of heaven. God himself. And wherever God is treasured, all those other things are the fruit. Whenever God is delighted in and enjoyed, everything else comes to that. And he says, this is what Jesus is inviting you to, to forsake everything that gets in the way of your full throttled pursuit of the treasure of heaven. And the treasure of heaven is King Jesus himself. And I love this. Jesus says, seek first. Seek first your best energy. Jesus says, if you'll love me, if you'll obey me, if you'll seek me, if you'll chase me, if you'll come after me, if you'll do it, come on, come on. He says, all these other things will fall into place. If I will be in the center of the orbit, everything else will hold its place. I love this because years later, Jesus' half-brother, a guy named James. You can flip over to James chapter 4, page 849, if you have one of our Bibles. James chapter 4, um, Jesus' half-brother, he's going to write this little letter to a group of Jewish believers that had placed their faith in Jesus. They're scattered all over the place. And, and James is going to pick up on kind of this theme that uh, his older brother Jesus had preached on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and over and over and over, James is going to talk to them about how their beliefs, like what they really believe, are going to be seen in the context of how they're living. And so you get to James chapter 4, and the first few verses of James chapter 4, he looks at them and he says, Listen, I know that you identify as Christians, but the way you're living on Monday is a reflection of where you really are staking your identity. He says, I know that you're followers of Jesus. You're in covenant with Jesus. Jesus has saved you by the cross of Christ. He's like forgiven you of your sins. He bled for you. He died for you. He raised for you. He loved you. He opened the door. He says, I know that you're identified as Christians. He says, but on Monday, the way you think, the way you live, the way you act, the things that you're pursuing reveal that your first place energy is still going to the pursuit of second place things. And so he calls them this really nice word in verse 4. He looks at him and he says, you're committing spiritual adultery on God. 
He says you're in covenant with Jesus, but you're living and you're pursuing and your heart and your mind and your imagination is fascinated with the things of the world. It's really strong language. He says you're committing spiritual adultery. It's honestly what a lot of us are doing. It's what maybe most of us are doing. Jesus, here's my Sunday. Here's a little money. Here's a little time. Here's a little energy. Everything else is mine. And you spend all your time and all your prayer and all your energy hoping that God will use the forces of heaven to secure, secure for you the idols of earth. And here's the reality is Jesus Christ will never leverage the power of heaven to secure for you the junk that will keep you from the beauty that God's made, made you for. And so there's this moment in James chapter 4. I love this. James looks at, the, looks at the people, he says, you're committing spiritual adultery, but he gets to verse 6 and he says, but whenever you've done that, there is grace upon grace upon grace for people like you. James isn't coming at them with like religion. He's not saying, hey, you suck. Here's the nine steps you have to do to make God like you again. He says, no, listen, you are the bride of Christ. Ethos, you are the bride of Christ. Jesus loves you. He purchased you. He bought you, but you're not living like it. He says, but there's grace for that. There's grace for it. There's, there's more on the table. 2017 doesn't have to be as apathetic and fear-driven as 2016 was. There's, there's more on the table. And this is what he says. Look at verse 7 to 10. He says, so submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee, to, flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James has a word away with the first, uh, 21st century words, doesn't he? Just encouraging you, you double-minded folks. Verse 9, he says, Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter into mourning, and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so I love this moment. James is kind of cluing in. He's like, you're made for more. My brother told you that. You're made for more, like to, to know God, to, to be in relationship with God. And so you get to this point in chapter 4, and he begins to talk to them about both the promise and the path that they have to take if they want to experience that promise. He's going to say, hey, the, the, the reward of heaven, the, the treasure of heaven, is going to require you to make some adjustments. So let's, let's see how he does it. Look at verse 8 with me real quick. He says, this is the promise. This is the reward. He says, come near to God. And God will come near to you if you're a really good church person. Is that what it says? Hey, come near to God and God will come near to you if you grew up in the right family. Is that what he says? No. Hey, come near to God and God will come near to you if you break all of your addictions. Is that what God, no. What does he say? He says, come near to God and God will come near to you. I mean, James is literally just plagiarizing what his brother Jesus preached on in Matthew chapter 7. He says, anybody who asks or seeks or knocks, the door will be opened you will find, you will receive. Jesus says, anyone. Here's the requirement. Here's what makes you eligible, you know, for the promise. Have you ever seen like one of those great deals and then there's all the fine print? Here's the fine print for walking in relationship with God. If you want to be eligible for God, all you have to have is a heartbeat. If you're breathing, if you're alive, you are perfectly eligible to walk with God because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and what he did in the empty tomb. And I love this. He says, here's the promise. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Such a beautiful, bold picture. Such a beautiful, bold promise. And I want us to understand the promise. James is not talking about proximity here. He's talking about intimacy, okay? And so James is not espousing what so many other world religions are espousing. He's not saying, hey, God is somewhere far off over there and you've got to go on a pilgrimage to find him. That's not what he's saying. 
The Bible teaches that God is all around. In fact, right now, He is closer than your breath. For those of you that are Christians, He is inside your body. He is beating. In this very moment, the Holy Spirit of God is closer than you could imagine. James is saying, listen, this isn't a question of proximity. It's a question of intimacy. That to come near is not about you getting closer to God in proximity. It's about you opening your heart to Him in intimacy. It's what some of you just experienced over the holidays. You were in a house with your family. You were in close proximity with them, but you did not experience intimacy. You're in the same room. You watch the same TV shows. You all played on your phones at the same time. Like you ate meals together. You were in the same space. But isn't it true that proximity and intimacy are not always synonymous? And James is saying, listen, God is closer than you can imagine. Come on. Come near, and it, and it, it is an invitation into intimacy. It is an invitation to come near. That's the promise. That's what Jesus talked about, to, to seek first, to come into the kingdom. But he doesn't stop, which is the promise. He says, if you want that promise, if you want that reward, he says there's a path that you're required to take. It's a path that Jesus talks about over and over. It's a path that all of the apostles would talk about. And I think it's the thing that will set 2017 apart for some of you. Some of you are going to have the same year you had last year. You're going to come to church. You're going to go to work. You're going to do the things that you've always done. And there's going to be very little change. There's going to be very little difference in your relationship with God. And I don't want that to be true, but that will be true for some of you. This will be the year that some of you walk away from the Lord. I don't want that to be true. Some of you are on the edge of it right now. But this will also be the year where some of you will punch through the curtain You'll step through the barrier, and this will be the year where Jesus is no longer the two-dimensional flannel graph guy in the VBS story, but he becomes the living, breathing, three-dimensional cosmic God that your heart was made for. This will be the year that you come to know him. And the difference between those of you who will have breakthrough and those of you who won't, it's not about where you're born. It's not about who your family is. It's not about how righteous you think you are. It's about your simple commitment to what James is going to lean into here in James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. And it's this idea of repentance. Over and over and over in those three verses, he says, listen, here's the promise. The promise is that if you come near to God in intimacy, you're going to get intimacy with God in ways you can never imagine. He says, but the path towards that intimacy is your ongoing commitment to keep walking in repentance. You know, if you grew up in church, maybe you're hearing that word through a religious lens right now. Um, so often when we think of repentance, we immediately think of this like deep internal feeling of guilt or shame or fear. And that's a small aspect of repentance. Uh, or that's a small aspect of your life that happens that often leads you to repentance. But that's not repentance. Feeling bad about yourself is not repenting. Repenting is the decision to literally turn your life around and to follow Jesus wherever it is that he's going. And the Bible is clear. Repentance is not just something you do when you're 15 years old at the back of church when you're trying to get saved. It's not what you did when you were 32 and you really messed things up in your marriage. Repentance is this ongoing, minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month to commitment for anyone that wants to walk in intimate friendship with anyone else, but especially with God. I remember my first year of marriage, Sydney and I, we celebrated our one-year anniversary I've been speaking at this thing out in California, and she came out at the end of it. We're going to spend a week together traveling around Southern Cal, and this was 12 years ago, and so we didn't have smartphones. It shows you how old we were. There were no GPS on the phones, and so uh, some of you have never even heard of this. There used to be this thing called MapQuest, and you'd go online, and you would type in an address, and you would print out a map, and then you would drive. It's way more dangerous than texting because you're trying to read directions, driving through LA traffic, and so that whole trip was marked by us driving in terrible traffic, 
and missing our turn over and over and over. We'd pass it, you know, because there's nothing to tell us to turn. And so uh, we'd pass our turn and we'd instantly be confronted with this decision. Do we go down to the next light like a rational human being, turn right, wait our turn, come back? And, or since we're in a rental car, do we just make a dangerous U-turn and break the law and get back there quicker? And so because we're young and stupid, that's what we do. And whoever was driving would say, what should we do? The other person would literally look and say, it's a rental, and then we'd both shout, U-turn. And we did that, our, that, I think about our one-year anniversary, that was the whole trip, and we'd yell, U-turn, and we'd turn, and, and we'd get back, because there's this longing in us to get back as quickly as we could to the place it was that we were meant to go. And that's the essence of repentance. The essence of repentance is every time the Lord reveals to us a place of apathy, a place of sin, a place of brokenness, anytime the Lord reveals those places where we're giving first place energy to second place pursuit for us to say, Lord, we don't want to wait to the next light. We don't want to wait to the next season. We don't want to wait to the next month. I want to turn the car around in traffic and I want to get on board with wherever it is that you're calling me to go right here and right now because knowing you is the essence of life and I want to begin depositing the treasure in heaven. And so James says, listen, this is the promise. Come near and he comes near to you. And he says, if you want to come near, you've got to turn the car around. That's what he says in verse 7. He says, you've got to begin submitting your life to God and you've got to, you've got to begin resisting what the enemy is putting in your path. And this is a grand reversal for all of us because at one time all of us had trained ourselves to resist the Lord and to submit to the devil. Maybe we didn't know that's what we were doing. It's what some of you are still doing even though you're followers of Jesus. We submit to the enemy all the time. Those pleasures, those temptations, we roll over, we cave to them, we schedule our lives around them. And then we resist the Lord. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're reading the scriptures and God begins to convict you of something to do? And you immediately start looking for the loopholes. I wonder if it really means that. I wonder what it says in the Greek. I wonder, I wonder how we can get a, and a lot of us, even those of you that have been in church your whole life. You have discipled yourself in such a way that you've, you, you've learned to resist the Lord and to submit to the enemy. And James is going to say, hey, if you want nearness to God, he says, you've got to turn that car around. He says, submit to the Lord. He says, resist the enemy. He says, this is going to be an external thing that you have to do at times. It's what he talks about in verse 8. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. That's kind of weird language. James isn't taking a break and saying, hey, go to the kitchen and wash your hands. You know, dinner's ready. It was a Jewish metaphor that they would use to talk about their behaviors. And James is going to say, hey, if you want nearness to God, there's some things you're going to have to quit doing. There's some things you're going to have to start doing. There's some things from 2016 you're going to have to let go of. And there's some things in 2017 you're going to have to start leaning into. But it's not just going to be an external thing. He says it's also going to be an internal reality. He says, grieve and mourn and wail. And I'm like, that's weird. We don't talk about that a lot. But James, remember the context of the chapter. He says, you're followers of Jesus that are giving your first place energy to pursuing the things of the world. And he says, and if that doesn't bring you to a place of mourning, you will never experience the joy of knowing God intimately. Like some of you are so desensitized to the pursuit of your own heart. And you're convinced that God is just as passionate about your career trajectory and your relational goals and your financial health and your security and your safety as you are. And the truth is, so often God's not. His ways are higher. His ways are different. He says there's got to be this sense of grieving and mourning and wailing. And he says, if, and if you will humble yourself this way, he says, the Lord will lift you up. So the Lord will do what you can never imagine. So I just want you to imagine this for a second as we come into this year together. Can you imagine what would happen if your life 
was completely sold out to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, like, just in, in the recesses of your heart, like, if your mind was as prone to pray as it is prone to check Instagram when you have a moment of freedom? I mean, seriously, I'm not making fun of it. It's like, what would happen if you, man, I just want to be with the Lord? I want to know the Lord. What if your internal sense of self-worth and identity wasn't connected to how much money you're making or whether or not you were dating someone or married? Like, what if your sense of identity was anchored deep in the place of nearness with God? I go, can you imagine that in the year ahead? Can you imagine what would begin to happen in the context of our community if we said, Lord, we're going to seek you first. Lord, we're going to come after you with the entirety of who we are. Like, you get our first place energy and everything else is going to fall in place. Can you imagine what that would do for those of you that are married? What a gift it would be for your spouse if he got to be married or she got to be married to someone that loved Jesus more than they loved you. What a gift that would be to your children if you gave them the gift of not worshiping your children. They can't sustain your worship. What, what would happen in the context of your friend group this year? If you looked at your friend group and said, listen, we've been, we've been friends for a long time, but this year is going to be different. The heartbeat of this friend group is going to be the full-throttled pursuit of Jesus and his kingdom. We're going to seek him first. So whether we're sitting and grabbing coffee or eating at Baja Burrito, God bless it, or whether we're uh, playing golf or going jogging or having a Bible study or praying or playing video games, whatever we do, we're going to do it all for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. What would happen this year if your friend group began to really reimagine and ask the question, man, are we seeking first the kingdom Or are we trying to use the kingdom to seek all of these secondary things that we've stored at the foot of the bed? Or ethos, I want us to imagine this as a church. You know, this thing that we do on Sundays, this is not a collection of a bunch of individuals sitting in a room next to each other then leaving and going about our own business. We're men and women and children that have been purchased by the blood of Christ, brought into the family of God, knit together as a family And as dysfunctional as we may be, that's what God has made us to be. And we get to decide in the year ahead, what kind of family are we going to be? Are we going to be a group of strangers? Or are we going to be a group of people that are fully committed to Jesus Christ and the outworking of that commitment is an unshakable love for one another? God has brought us like so far in the last eight years. I love our church. I love what God's doing. It's my favorite place on earth to be. I wish I was there with you right now. But the truth is, there's like so much more on the table for us in the year ahead. There's like so much, we're like leaving things on the table. I just want to call it what it is. Sometimes I gather with us for worship, and I wonder if any of us are excited about God at all. Sometimes I'm in that room, whether it's Marathon or Hillsborough Village or Cannery, and I go, man, are we here out of ritual? Or are we here out of this like, burning passion for the realness and the glory and the beauty of God. And I confess, sometimes in my own heart, I come in there out of the wrong motives. I'm convinced that so often our worship with one another is cold and it is disconnected. And the reason it's cold and disconnected when we're together communally is because our worship privately is even worse. Who we are collectively is the outworking of who we are when no one else is around. And when you get a bunch of people that are giving God their leftovers, what we end up with is a community of people that give God what's convenient. And the glory of God demands more.
in 2017 is going to be different. It's going to be different. And we're going to say, Lord, you alone are the one that I seek. We seek you first. Can you imagine what would happen in our city (laughs) if 3,000 people said, Lord, you're our priority. We love you. We want to know you. Every neighborhood, every home, every workspace would begin to see radical change because of the reality that begins to play out when a group of people yoke themselves to one another in the full throttled, unashamed pursuit of Jesus Christ. I know so often at the beginning of years, we like to come up with words that will define the year. You know, this is the word for the year, whatever it may be. And I want to give you a word for our year as a church family as we come into 2017. And it's the word intimacy. And it's the thing that we're going to be chasing after this year as we come into the presence of God. Is, is God. Because <laughs> what we want is, is God. And at the beginning of the year, I'm not too concerned with where each of us are starting. You know, some of us are on fire for Jesus and some of us aren't. I'm not as concerned with where you're starting as I am with whether or not you're going to be willing to take a step, whether you'll be committed to moving forward from wherever it is that you are. Like, will you be committed to to lean into the things that are ahead? And so this year as a church family, we're going to intentionally position ourselves for intimacy with Jesus because I believe when you seek first the kingdom of God, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, everything else is changed from there. And this is going to have some implications to it. This past year, my family, we moved three times, and which is kind of a pain. We pack all of our stuff up, we move, we do it again. But one of the unintended blessings of moving so often is we really pared down the things that we had. And so we'd sell stuff, we'd get rid of things, we'd throw it away. And, and it really kind of forced us to clarify. And there was something about the stripping away of stuff that opened us up to the things that mattered most. And I believe this is going to be a year of both the Lord taking away and the Lord filling up. That sometimes in order to have some clarity, we have to really strip away some of the noise and go, okay, God, do we as a church, do we honor you? Do we, do we seek you first? And so this is what that's going to look like. I just kind of want to give you a picture of the next six weeks, okay? And so the, the, the next six weeks... Uh, uh, starting with the next two weeks, which is January 15th and January 22nd. The next two weeks are going to be about preparation. And so we're going to meet in our normal times. We're going to meet in our normal locations at Hillsborough Village Marathon at Cannery. And on the 15th and on the 22nd, we're just going to begin preparing our hearts, God, for whatever it is that He wants to do in us. We're going to come together and we're going to say, Lord, we believe You have something for us this year, but we're not going to rush into it haphazardly. Lord, would you knit us together? Will you purify us? Will you open up our minds to what it is? And so the next two weeks are going to be all about preparation, normal times, normal locations. Starting on January 29th, then for the next four weeks, January 29th through February 19th, we're going to enter into 30 days of prayer and fasting together as a church family. Now, I just lost about 90% of you when I said the word fasting because I know that sounds miserable, but hang with me for a minute. I used to, to hate it, but it's become the, one of the greatest blessings in my relationship with Jesus. I'm convinced that when our, when our physical bodies are being fully satisfied by the things of the world, it's hard for our souls to yearn for the, ones that we were made, the one that we were made for. And so in this season, we're going to enter into a time of prayer and a time of fasting, 30 days. It'll look different for all of us. We'll explain that more in the days and the weeks to come. But we've created this prayer calendar. We're going to be getting together with 11 different churches from six different countries, and we're going to be praying through the same things for 30 days, January 29th to February 19th. And we're going to ask the Lord 
to rearrange the taste buds of our hearts for the things of heaven. That's, gonna, that, that, that's what it's going to be. So we're going we're, we're, we're to do that for 30 days. On top of that, you know, praying together for 30 days, we're going to spend those four Sundays, and we're going to really slow things down. We're not going to meet at Hillsborough Village. We're not meeting at Marathon. We're not meeting at Cannery. Instead, we're going to get our whole church family together in one place, in one location, for four straight weeks. So on the 29th, we'll be at the Ryman together. On the 5th and the 12th of February, we'll be at TPAC. On the 19th, we're still looking for a venue, so you could be praying about that, um, that God would open it up. But for four straight weeks... We're going to get together in one place as a church family, and it's not going to be business as usual. It's not going to be a few songs, a sermon, communion, a few songs, leave. It's going to be us as, as the bride of Jesus Christ sitting down in his presence saying, Lord, purify our hearts, help us to know you, help us to love you. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship. We're going to sit in silence. We're going to share together. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to read from the scriptures. But what we're really doing is we're just going after God. And I believe the words of Jesus are true, that, man, when you go after the Lord, when you come near, He comes near to you. And that's what the year is going to be about. And then we'll see what happens after that. But I believe what God has in store for us, and I say this with love and kindness, what God has in store for you is not something you can take hold of if you keep walking down the path of laziness that maybe you're prone to walk down. It's not something you can take hold of if you keep pursuing and chasing after the lesser than pleasures of the world. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do as we get ready to take communion, okay? Here's, here's what I want every person in our church to do. This, this week, before we get together next Sunday, go to ethoschurch.org. Uh, on the top of the webpage, you'll see a big banner that says, Fast Forward, 30 Days of Prayer and Fasting for Our Church, Our City, and Our World. And on that page, you're going to see two things. You're going to see our schedule for the next six weeks. And so all the information you need will be there. And we'll keep updating it as we have more information. And then at the bottom of that page, you're going to see three resources. Uh, the first resources is going to be the 30-day prayer calendar. I want to challenge you to, to get online, to download it, print it off, put it somewhere in your house where you can start familiarizing yourself with it, and we're going to start praying through that together on January 29th. The second resource is a short ebook that I wrote on fasting. I know a lot of you have maybe never fasted. Maybe you have kids, and you're like, how does this work with kids? And so uh, I thought, what would I say to every one of you if I could take you out for coffee? and to talk to you for 45 minutes about fasting. And so what I did was I just literally sat down and wrote out what I'd love to say to each of you face-to-face, and I put it in an e-book. You can read it in about 45 minutes. For those of you that are allergic to reading, I also recorded a version. There's an audio version that you can download and listen to on your commute. But I want to challenge every one of us this week. Um, go online, get the schedule, get the calendar, read through or listen to the e-book, and start asking the Lord to prepare your hearts for next Sunday. And each week, we're going to start preparing our hearts for what it is that the Lord has. There is more of God for you. There's more of God for all of us. And I believe if we'd start the year with the question that we started this teaching with, what is it that we're chasing? I think the Lord would reveal some things and He'd redirect us in some ways that would bring us into some unthinkable joy. So I want to I challenge you, just, just come on the journey. No matter where you're at, no matter what it is that you're doing, I believe God will bless you immensely. I want to pray over us. Uh, we'll go take communion. As you take communion today, I just want to encourage you to just share with one another whatever it was that God was speaking to you in our time together in the Word. And so I'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed towards communion. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you supernaturally birth in every person 
that calls Ethos Church home, would you birth in us an unquenchable hunger and thirst for the treasure of heaven, the King himself, God. Would you help us to long for you, to love you, to want you? And Lord, would you give us this ability to keep turning around every aspect of our life so we can have more of you? Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. I love you.